tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. The following is a presentation of the Match Talk Podcast Network. It's time for the ODU Wrestling Monarch Matcast, a show dedicated to all things related to the Old Dominion Wrestling Program. On the web at monarchmatcast.com. Now, here's your host, three-time National Wrestling Writer and Broadcaster of the Year, and 2004 ODU alumnus, Jason Bryant. Another edition of the Old Dominion Wrestling Monarch Matcast. Jason Bryan here with you as we are coming up on the postseason. Old Dominion will host the MAC Championships at the TED March 8th and 9th. If you do not have your tickets already, go to whynotticks.com. Right there, you'll click on the MAC logo. That's the Mid-American Conference ready for some wrestling MACTION. But today we're talking to Reagan Hill. She is the Associate Athletic Director for Student Athlete Academic Services and the Senior Women's Administrator, among other titles. She was part of the search committee that brought Fred Chow, the new volleyball coach, to Old Dominion. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But, Reagan, welcome to the program. And uh, are, are you amped up for the MAC Championships coming up this weekend? Of course. Of course. We're excited to have it here in Norfolk. And uh, we're just getting ready. To, it's countdown time. So uh, it'll be here before you know it. Uh, your role, I remember when I was coming through Old Dominion, uh, the titles have changed over the years. Now, Associate AD for Student Athlete Academic Services is, uh, you know, it's it's a much more efficient and, I guess, professional way of saying, uh, you know, basically academic advisor in a lot of ways. Or, or or is that even, is that a true statement? I mean, how much has that, that type of position shifted over the years in terms of college athletics? Um, well, for I oversee our academic advisors for the department and then also our student-athlete development uh, unit. Um, it's all kind of intertwined, making sure. But over the years, it, there's not been a whole lot of changes, just more uh, departments having uh, directors for student-athlete development um, or their own, their own entity. Ours here, they do um, direct student-athlete development in addition to advise students. So it's a dual role in that appointment. But also from that, we have our educational support specialist. That's our learning specialist that gets um, kind of down to the nitty-gritty with uh, any learning differences, any students that come in with 504 IEPs. So you have to be very well-versed in all that can happen with the student-athlete's um, academic career uh, when they come to college, uh, what type of help they're going to need. Um, and basically, we call it building their profile um, the minute that they recruit it. So it's a lot. And then preparing them for life after sport. Yeah, and you haven't been at, at Old Dominion very long in the course of your career. I mean, you've you've got previous stops at at Power Five schools all over the place. This is uh, your first, you know, for lack of a better term, Group of Five uh, position. What, what have what have you uh, experienced with the position? What made you want to come to Norfolk? Well, I mean, I had been at four Power Five schools prior and looking to move up in the in the in my career. And my my ultimate goal is become an athletic director. So um, I saw this position online and decided to apply for it. I never lived on the East Coast, and um, I knew there were going to be some shifts in positions as well. Didn't was was not 100% sure I would get it, um, but within a year and a couple months, the SWA position opened up, and then um, was able to get promoted to that position. So a lot of it, I've, I've always been very strategic in my career, uh, making sure it's it's taking me to that next step of my um, end goal uh, per se. But this place has provided me a lot of uh, opportunity. It's a great institution. Um, our student athletes are some of the best in the country. Uh, the staff that works within our department, we're very close and tight knit. Uh, a lot of times at Power Fives, you could have 300 plus um, employees in a department and we're right around, I think, 130 here. And we work very closely together, making sure that we put on the, the best productions for our, our student athletes for their sport events um, and then just provide high quality 
quality um, for for our student athletes, our coaches, administration, everything else. So again, it it, it provided a lot of opportunity um, for me to uh, put my hands in to build my I guess I call it toolbox uh, to get me to that next level and everything else. So um, it's been great. I've been here three years. Um, I spent the majority of my time in the Midwest, um, from Kansas State, Nebraska, Wisconsin to Arkansas, then here. Um, but I was a former student athlete myself, so. I've been in this for, for a long time now, uh, but it's been great. And ODU has been a great place to, to work at. And our, our president also, the support he gives us um, uh, for our athletic programs has been awesome. You know, from a presidential standpoint, you know, John Broderick was a former dean of students. I know as a, as a, as a student myself, he really had an, a direct impact in, in my academic uh, situations that I was going through with with financial aid, and I know he actually really cares about that student and student athlete. I think probably more than a lot of people uh, really understand. But what's it like working with somebody who comes from uh, that academic side that really knows that yes, sports are a vital part of the athletic the campus experience, but somebody that's that's been a dean of students. No, it's been great. I mean, we talk every time we see each other at campus events, and uh, he asks me how I'm doing in my area, and if there's anything that I need or um, support that we need on our end. So it, it's it's great when you have that person that's asking you, what exactly do you need to make it uh, run over here? And we've been able to produce our student athletes are performing at a at a high level. We've been able to have um, 3.0 across the board for our teams these past years. Um, we have 53%. 3.0 in the athletic department with our student athletes and about 35% operating at a 3.4, which is Dean's list on our campus. So for him, he gets excited when we go to those basketball games or football games and we get to roll out all of our, our Dean's list students. So it, it's, it's very special that not only as a staff, but our, our student athletes uh, see that the, the president of the institution is invested um, not only in their sports side of things, but also in their academic. Um, he has them over to his house, our SAC representative group, our student athlete advisory committee. Um, and so he gets to, gets to talk to them one-on-one without us there just to see anything, uh, any areas that we can improve. But I think that's great. Our student athletes can have some of them have his uh, cell phone number. They can reach out. Um, but again, it, it's a special situation when, you know, you can pick up the phone, text or send a quick email and he's going to get right back to you. There's a lot of alphabet soup when it comes to college athletics, and you threw down SWA, and we mentioned that's part of your title, Senior Women's Administrator. I've had Senior Women's Administrators on my other programs here on the Mad Talk Podcast Network. But for those who are unfamiliar with what that term is and what that that term really means, uh, can you kind of explain what a Senior Women's Administrator's role is in college athletics? Yes, it's a designated title. It's the top-ranking female in the athletic department. Um, Duties vary uh, institution to institution. So for me here, I have the Deputy Title IX uh, responsibilities, so handling our gender equity and doing those reviews for our department, Um, sports supervision. I have our, again, academic student-athlete development area. Um, So again, it just varies. Uh, And then I also handle our sexual assault violence prevention programming for our student-athletes as well that falls under that title nine uh, wing so now when we come to of course senior women's ministry the highest ranking that is not the athletic director just to to clarify because correct so it typically when we go to our spring meetings it's your athletic director your swa your faculty athletic rep what would you call our far um there they are the conduit between the students and campus. So if our students really don't like what we're doing, they have their FAR to go to. Or for us, if we have a professor for some reason not working with us, we work through the FAR to help mitigate whatever we've got going on with the student athlete in their course uh, with that professor. Um, but that's how the, the pecking order goes from a conference uh, standpoint. Obviously, we have a deputy AD. He's the number two to the um athletic director. But again, when we have certain decisions that have to be made, the SWA is in the room uh, for that to make sure everything is equitable across the board or just has that sound bite. Again, it's the top ranking female uh, in the in the department and making sure that um, every, every voice is being heard in a sense. Shifting it to the world of Old Dominion and your background at, you know, as an athlete, uh, well, what what is your athletic background, first of all? Because uh, I know when I'm I'm digging in on this, I didn't. I, I was trying to find. Okay, she had to play something. She had to play something. What what was your uh, your sport <laughs> of emphasis there in college? 
I, I ran track uh, in college. I ran the 60 up to the 400. I competed at Cal State Northridge and then transferred to Kansas State University my last two years um, of my college career. Northridge, let's see. Is that, are they the Matadors? Yep. All right, cool. I still got it. That was my nerd, my nerdy <laughs> thing in ninth grade. I knew all the D1 mascots and... You know, if they don't have wrestling now, I don't really kind of pay attention to them much anymore. Yeah. But, but uh, you know, so coming through, you know, what I'm, I'm curious about is having the background in the Power Five and then coming to a group of five in a sport uh, like wrestling. You know, K-State didn't have it. Of course, Nebraska and Wisconsin have very good wrestling programs. Arkansas mm-hmm. didn't have wrestling. So uh, when you get an opportunity to work with, with the wrestlers on campus, uh, what previous experiences do you have with, with like Mark Manning at Nebraska or Barry Davis at Wisconsin? Well, with Mark, it was just um, from our student-athlete development side of when I worked, I was a um, coordinator for multicultural programs. So just any of our ethnic minority student-athletes, I would bring them in for programming. So I worked across with teams across the board. Now, when I was at Wisconsin, I was the direct academic advisor for the wrestling team there, um, even though that was a short stay. But learning the ins and outs of it, I learned that coming here to Old Dominion when taking over the program and Coach Martin's been great about explaining things, all the other coaches, uh, the student athletes. And I like to get into a rule book, um, Jeff Bacon at the conference level, Corinth Patterson, they've been great just to, Hey, I got a question on this, or I want to go back and review the tape. Um, I want to see if that was correct call on that. Um, and just learning as I go through it, uh, obviously a student of everything when it comes to athletics. Um, but that's just, you learn as you go. Not all of my, um, I have a, let's see, swimming and diving and also women's soccer. I never watched as much soccer as I have now taking over that sport. So it's the same thing. Once you get into it, you just continue to learn, 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 and learn. And then, uh, going to the NCAA uh, championships last year in Cleveland, um, was another eye opening experience uh, that I always tell people about. If you have one bucket list in your, that you haven't added, add the NCAA wrestling championships to it because it is unbelievable. Okay. I'm going to table that for a minute because that's, again, that's what we're going to, we're going to get to, but I'm curious about the volleyball championships out here. I live about 15 minutes from, from us bank stadium. That's where the NCAA championships for wrestling will be held next year. Yes. The Viking stadium, the wrestling tournament is Mm -hmm, going to be in mm -hmm. the football stadium, but what was the volleyball championships like coming up here and and the bitter cold? And it wasn't even very cold (laughs) as far as Minnesota standards go in trying to search for a volleyball coach and ultimately uh, picking Fred Chow. So we didn't even watch a game. We literally flew in. Uh, we got to the hotel room. We created our spreadsheet. We had a- emailed almost everybody that was on our list that um, could potentially be our next volleyball coach. And from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. at night and then another 8 a.m. the next morning, uh, we had 30-minute just roll through. Um, no questions because obviously we couldn't interview, but trying to get to know the candidates um, and then sell our program to them because, again, you're coming in and you're having to start from scratch. There's no team. Uh, there's no student athletes. There's not a facility currently. Um, and trying to sell the big picture and what they could make at Old Dominion for volleyball. Um, so we were really there a day and a half um, and one by one in the hotel uh, restaurant. We sat down and met all of these people, Fred being one of them. Um, and it was great. I, I recommend anybody that's ever looking for a coach to kind of do that because you, you get a sense of who they are before you start narrowing down your list. And then um, we came back. We sat here in this room, me and uh, Carolyn Crutchfield and uh, Rick French, um, Anne-Marie Gender, we all sat in here and one by one, we just started, yes, no, yes, no, this moving people over, playing devil's advocate. And again, what we call finding that CEO for this team. And then we came down to our, our top uh, two candidates that we were going to bring to campus. And Fred was our 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 winner <laughs> he he really wowed everybody um he's very very thoughtful in his answers to everything um he cares he's passionate he knows people across the country um all over the world that was going to what we needed. We need to build a program. We're going to need to build it with some freshman transfers, um, international student athletes. He's really a student of the game. He's, he's coached on the men's side and the women's side, been at both uh, two other power five schools. 
and has been to the NCAA tournament. So he really brought everything that we were looking for in a coach. Now, one thing you brought up, the international student athletes thing, you know, the eligibility requirements and, and things for them have changed. You know, most people associate Old Dominion with women's basketball. And of course, uh, mm-hmm. the great teams of the, of, you know, of yesteryear. And then of course, more recently, actually, you know, when we say more recently, it's 20 years ago and I'm sitting there going, yikes. I mean, I remember watching Tisha and, and Clarice Machanguana and Mary Andrade in the field house. And uh, they were all international students that had a profound impact on the program. Uh, how have the admissions require, and I don't want to say admission requirements, but how have the opportunities for international students students changed over the years in terms of how it works with academic support? I mean, some institutions require just the SAT um, standards or ACT, and they have to hit certain benchmarks. For us, uh, we have the TOEFL test. um, But again, if they score a certain uh, score on the SAT, we can waive the TOEFL. So it varies institution to institution. Uh, For our athletic department, though, we've got about 455 student-athletes. And of that uh, 455, about 90 of them are international. So we still have a a very high rate of international students that come to us in the sports of uh, men's and women's soccer, basketball, our golf teams, tennis, um, I'm just trying to think, rowing. So we have a a strong base of of international student athletes, and they they provide a great experience not only for themselves, but for the other student athletes to learn about different cultures and everything else. So um, it's it's been great. But the the standards, again, it's institution to institution on who they allow in. Um, And then the NCAA standards of it, we still have to get the translation if they're coming from a country that's not um, obviously English-based. We have to get those courses in and get that stuff evaluated before they go through the admissions process as well as the NCAA process. Moving back to the volleyball question, because it's you're adding into Division One sports something that's it's actually really fairly infrequent. I mean, there was a rush of teams added, you know, 10, uh, 20, 20, 25 years ago. But uh, the the rush to add sports is kind of slowed, at least uh, on the Division One level in some respects. And when it comes to adding a sport like volleyball, how much does that change your your role? I mean, what does the academic support situation look? Uh, look like when you're you're bringing in a new sport on campus. Do you have any prior experience at, at your other schools that of adding new programs and what it what it meant to your job? No, this is the first place that I've been uh, adding a sport to the to the athletic department, and so for me, this was a a very good experience. Just from start to finish. Um, we started first with our website and then worked all the way to getting our head coach and just naming our two assistant coaches uh, this past week and everything else. But um, we had to do just kind of an eval. I do the Title IX report every year for our athletic department um, with various folks within the within our department just to make sure we're equitable across the, the board. And um, we had to look at certain areas within our department to see where we're going to need extra bodies with uh, bringing on a new team. Academically, could we use another advisor? Yes, but we were, we're able to still work within with adding the team. So it's not going to throw us off too much for adding 16 uh, bodies um, to the, to the, to our roster in a sense. Um, so Kristen Eden, who's our academic advisor, um, she is the one that gained uh, volleyball and she's also our tutor coordinator and she oversees wrestling as well as men's and women's swimming and diving. So we've got a pretty good system. It's all hands on deck um, really for our student athletes. So if someone's not available or they're busy with the, one of their students, somebody else picks up the student and then um, just make sure the, the advisor over that sport gets the information so they can go back and, and work and, and figure out the best mo- whatever that student needs in a sense, um, but it didn't it didn't do anything too much for academics. Uh, we just had to make sure in other areas that we we had like um, enough people to cover or move folks around so we could get the coverage that we needed. When we look at the wrestling program at Old Dominion, its academic profile has has been increased over the years. At one point, they finished second in the country uh, in the NWCA GPA requirements, just behind mm-hmm. Harvard. Uh, you know, it's it's a situation where coaches now are recruiting. They they have to with the the three letter APR, more alphabet soup. Uh, and and mm-hmm. how has the APR really kind of changed the way of academic uh, athletic support over the last decade? Where you know it's that you know you're. Sometimes you're not taking that risky kid anymore. And, you know, how has mm-hmm. that kind of changed the, the, the framework of, you know, academic advising? Well, it gives us a benchmark, 
obviously. So we know what we're what we're aiming for. Um, for our athletic department, though, we're looking at that that 985 now with the new uh, NCAA money that comes into play that you can receive if you're you're hitting your, either your APR, or GSR, or Fed rate. Um, you have to just hit one of those. But it just it gave us a benchmark of where we need to be. But then also uh, the the ability to tell coaches you've got five high at risk kids on your team already we might want to think about these three that you're trying to bring in and what your APR is going to look like, or we've already had kids transfer out because there's the retention point with it. Um, So it's opened up the line of communication uh, for advisors to coaches just to say, look, we've either got too many high at risk on the team or coach, you can't run off a kid because of X, Y, and Z, and this is how it'll affect your APR um, and things like that. It's also allowed us to, increase our academic support across the board. This is, I mean, APR was 20 or 2003 um, that it started to come into play. So I've been at multiple institutions since it was incorporated. Um, and again, it goes back to what what do we need in our areas to, to make sure we're hitting those benchmarks so far as tutor services, um, academic staff and personnel, student-athlete development, how are we preparing them to get ready to exit the, the university. Um, so it just allowed for a lot of resources to be dumped in the academic area, but also, that again, that line of communication between coaches and advisors that, hey, we're trying to help you um, and let us do that, but understand these are the ramifications if you don't or you decide to do what you want to do with the student or bring these um, high-at-risk students in. So. We find that with non-revenue sports that are typically equivalency sports, meaning that their their scholarships are not fulls, uh, whereas football is is a headcount sport, uh, basketball or, or headcount sports. Those are full rides when you're on there. You, you see a lot more walk-ons, you see a lot more invited walk-ons, and uh, those those are where the attrition numbers and the you know who gets who comes back year after year and those retention points. I understand that if they transfer and have a a certain GPA, you get that retention point back, or you get a point back from the APR. Correct. Two point six GPA. Um, we can we can recoup that uh, point. That's that that's a, the cutoff. There's some other stipulations in there uh, that are for the APR uh, when they get ready to transfer, but they have to transfer out eligible for one. And then there's the two point six GPA that's needed. Yeah, because if you transfer out ineligible, that's that's the dreaded O for two. And for sports Correct. that don't mm-hmm. have a whole lot of scholarship money, um, sometimes if you've got a kid on books. Whether, and and he just d- doesn't work out. He or she doesn't work out. That can be a real ad- adverse thing for your APR requirement. Correct, especially for equivalency sports. If they're on, let's say, a seventy-five percent scholarship, that's a big chunk. Um, if they're if if they're not returning, or you're on a team with there's low numbers. So men's golf, for example, we typically have around seven to eight student athletes. Well, you get two that transfer out, or two that transfer out and are that don't have that two point six. That's a big ding versus a football team where you have about 115 student athletes. You get six that leave. It's not it's not a huge um, dent in the in the APR number. Now, from an APR standpoint, is it just scholarship athletes or is it every athlete on the roster? It's just scholarship athletes. So if they come on the team and they're preferred walk on and they're on net, they have to be on absolutely zero uh, athletic scholarship. They will not count against us for the APR. Okay, yeah, because again, these these are things that that not just for wrestling fans that are listening to the show, but all, you know, all sports fans usually are, are are not as educated on. So, one, I I appreciate the in depth discussion on uh, you know kind of the things that people need to know about it. But as we switch gears, swish, I'm thinking basketball, switch gears to the MAC championships and what's going on at Old Dominion coming up. What does a conference championship add to the workload of of someone in your position? Uh, it's just another added project. Uh, we we do so many different conference championships. We just had a women's soccer here. That, again, that's a sport I oversee. I didn't have to do too much with that one um, because we had just had the men's the previous season here. Uh, but for the MAC coming in, we had to work against our Conference USA basketball schedule. So that was a year in advance, a year and a half in advance, just helping, talking to Conference USA, helping us uh, schedule out. Um, So we went end up with a double header on the weekend that we needed to host the MAC tournament. So that's the first thing, making sure you have the venue that you can compete in, um, especially when you're an affiliate school versus um, within that conference and everything else, because then you 
the conference can work with you a little bit um, easier. But Conference USA was great, uh, making sure that we didn't have games on that weekend, um, on this weekend coming up. But then it's just, like I said, it's just an added project from making sure we have food for hospitality. Do we have the mats coming in? Who's going to be at the scorer's table? Um, who's going to do replay? And we just, it's a project that we work on and we meet every two weeks and then every week leading up to it. Um, myself and Drew Jacobs, he is the lead so far as the facility piece of it. And then I handle all kind of the auxiliaries so far as the packets and making sure the awards get here, the t-shirts, working with the conference office um, and everything else. So we're tag teaming this project and Drew's done a phenomenal job um, on his end, just making sure we got our mats coming in and um, volunteers that we're going to have to work the, tur- the tournament, um, personnel, and then obviously the TED and that staff uh, with Spectra, making sure we have everything that we need. So it's a lot of moving parts, but we've done it so much here at Old Dominion uh, that we just fall we fall in and what we can't figure out we get it figured out fairly quickly and then um, having Coach Martin, Steve just say hey this is what happened last year but I also traveled, Drew and I traveled to CMU last year just to see the start to finish of the tournament so we kind of had an idea coming back to ODU so we just didn't go full fledged with out of sight, you know, out of sight not seeing it. We were able to see CMU you, even though it was a, a special circumstance there, <laughs> very even building, yeah, building, building out the building. It was actually hindsight 2020. It helped us because we saw how everything was set up from start to finish, uh, day of, and everything else. It's just a sad situation um, coming into it, um, but it worked on our end at the back. And I shouldn't say it like that, but you know what I mean. Uh, we were able to see it start to finish. Yeah, it's one of those things that you know. If those are familiar with what's going on, I'm not going to go into details of what happened, but it yeah. did give you it gave you a, a view of like, okay, if something. I mean, that's not an any, any manual. And two, now well, it is. Two is. Yeah, yeah. Two is like if something happens, we also know how to react to it because that, yeah, that was not in the manual. Um, but we got it again. It it helped us lay it out, and we were able to see. I took a ton of pictures just for layout of the the mats, the the press area. Um, we have a different arena, obviously, than CMU, but. Um, all the pictures just helped out. When we got stuck on something, I was able to say, Drew, see, remember, we were here um, and, and everything else. So it's it's it, it's been great. <laughs> Again, for us, Toolbox, um, this is his first champ- full championship he's worked on. Um, and he, like I said, he's done a great job. And again, just adding tools to the toolbox. So when someone says, have you ever put on a, on a, on a championship for wrestling or just in general, you can say, yes, this is what we had to do. Um, every year, the last two years, I've been able to go work the college football playoffs on the um, operation side for CFP. And so, again, those skills come into play when you're doing something like this as well. When it comes to interacting with a coach with the fiery disposition of one Steve Martin, what what was what were your first uh, what were your first uh, impressions of Coach Martin when it comes from uh you know because he's a lot to take in if you're meeting him for the first time. Oh yeah, so I mean my first interaction with him, uh, I think he was coming in the compliance office with them that he just got done working out, so he's in his workout clothes and. Um, I was just like, hey, coach, how are you doing? Fine, fine, fine. And then he goes right into compliance. And I'm like, okay, he's going he's gonna to be a special one. Um, <laughs> and then, <laughs> I love this man to death. But uh, then we have obviously academics, and there was a lot of changes I was making to the academic um, area when I got here. And that was one of the teams that I wanted to make sure uh, we had the proper support for them and uh, getting their GPA up and Kristen came on to staff as well and she knew the expectation and expectation for coach and it's just become a, a, a great re- working relationship for all of us and then taking over um, that sport for supervision then it was really getting to the nitty gritty of looking at uh, travel schedules and budgets and his philosophy on things and yes he gets fired up but I, I think uh, he met his match when he met me because I fire it right back <laughs> at him and um Sometimes I'm like, today you got to get out of my office. I'm not in the mood for it. Um, or it's just I could tell with him when he's not in the mood for it. But we, we have a great working relationship. And same thing with the um, assistant coaches. And it's helped that I've been able to travel 
uh, with the team to the conference championship as well as to the NCAAs and really get to see the grind uh, that these student athletes go through with this particular sport. Um, I like to eat. They don't eat. So um, <laughs> I don't know how they do it because uh, as a track athlete, I'm, I'm like, I have to have some kind of nutrients throughout the day. But when they're cutting weight and they're getting ready uh, to go do weigh-ins, I give it to them. I, that's that's a, on a whole nother level and everything else. But um, the team, they've, they've just been great to work with. And like I said, Kristen has had a, a fun time working with Coach as well. But uh, he, he, he is one of a kind. Yeah, and although one of a kind, they're you know going through uh, you know Barry Davis walking around uh, Wisconsin with the workout gear. Probably not that different because they both wrestled at Iowa. Yes, 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 yes. And like I said, Barry and I, we didn't have too much. I was there for a short stint at Wisconsin because I'd asked to come back to K-State and take over the football program there. But even when I went in to address those guys, they were always uh, receptive to the help and um, just great individuals um, to work with and everything. So one, one thing I'm curious about as far as, you know, a- academic support and academic student athlete services and such is mm-hmm. uh, with your background coming from power five schools, wrestling's most places, a non-revenue sport. There are places like, you know, Oklahoma state, Iowa, Penn state, that draw big crowds. But uh, do you find that the, the coaches of these non-revenue sports uh, there, I mean, how is the passion level for them knowing that they've got just to try a little bit harder just to fight for more exposure, to fight for their athletes? They're not getting full rides. So, you know, what what have you seen from, I don't want to call it a plight by any, any, any means, but, you know, the struggles that a non-revenue coach has to go through compared to, say, a head football coach? Obviously, it's always comes down to budget, how many scholarships you can offer and then to run your program um, and do you have great donor support that's going to kind of pick up um, the, the the budget piece that you can't that that the institution can't provide uh, within that coach's budget and everything else? But at the end of the day, when people put their uniforms on um, and they go out to compete, they're not going to worry about well, we didn't have the $50,000 that we need it. We're still going out there to win and try to get our students to the NCAAs or win conference or whatever, um, compete nationally and everything else. So I, it's always going to be a budget issue. Um, and the footballs and the basketballs are going to obviously get what they need. They're the revenue generating sports. And I always have to try to remind people of that when you can start bringing in um, revenue or, or just a donor base, that's going to change a lot of things for you within a department. Um, But at the same time, competition is competition. You're not going out there to lose and blame it on, the dollars in a sense. You just, you got to get creative with it. Same thing for academic. I came from a power five, uh, four power five institutions and our academic support varied at each institution. Now I come to a group of six and the budget looks very different. I told staff, that's not an excuse. Get creative, think outside the box, collaborate with campus and let's build a program that, that mimics a power five, even though we have limited resources. So um, I just think it's a mindset, how you go into things um, instead of saying, well, so-and-so has this. Why can't we do X, Y, and Z? We can do it. We just got to get creative. Switching back, the last thing I want to discuss is I said we're going to table this, the NCAA championships. This is something I've been attending since 2002 and, mm-hmm. and had the opportunity to, to announce the last several of them, which is always kind of a, a thrill. But I, I'm curious what first-timers think. You said it was a bucket list item for a a you know, a, a former athlete and a an administrator. You're, you're, you're a sports fan. You know it. Mm-hmm. When you mm-hmm. go into this thing and, and you walk into you know this place, Quicken Loans Arena, last year, and there's 18,000 people, and there's the, the – there's tickets being scalped. It's a hard ticket to get, especially this year in Pittsburgh. What were, what was the first thing went through your mind when that first whistle blew and you saw eight matches? You're like, what is going on here? I was blown away. I had no, no clue, no idea that first of all, it was going to be sold out wall to wall. Um, people are on vacation. I mean, coming in the airport, you could tell what people were there for and everything else. So it it even started at the airport getting over to the area that all the hotels and all the, the buzz was going around the queue and everything else. Um, But then to get into the arena and just see the full setup and um, all the teams, the, the floor, 
the buzz going around Anthony Holloman, who runs the the championship for NCAA. He's he was one of my uh, classmates in our leadership institute for NCAA, and I'm talking to him like, "Are you kidding me?" He's like, "Yeah, it's crazy, huh?" And I'm like, "This is unbelievable. I would never have expected uh, to see something like this." So when I came back to Old Dominion, they were asked how how my trip go. I'm like, if you've never been, you've got to go at least one time. Well, usually if you go once, you're you're gonna go again because it's. Uh, oh yeah. You don't even have to. I mean, yeah. There's there's the points where you follow your teams, but just uh, what I love about it is, you know, I, I come from an all sports background. I, I didn't get into wrestling until I was you know 15 years old. So I was a kid, you know, just like everybody does. They fill up their March Madness brackets, and you love the upset. You know, you love the 15 mm-hmm. beating the two across mm-hmm. all sports. That that kind of you know, you understand the value of what that type of thing means. And then we have things like that. We have, they had a two seed lose early. We have, you know, 15 mm-hmm, seeds mm-hmm. making the finals. This is stuff that you, you you don't even have to be a wrestling fan to understand the drama and, and just the, the sporting nature of it. That's what I, that's what I fell in love about with, with the sport of wrestling. No, exactly. I mean, they're going, Hey, it's, it's the NCAA tournament. They get to the final day. It, it's, it's winner take all type deal. So, you like that type of competition or the, I'm trying to think of was, was he from Cornell? Uh, the young man that won last year. Um, well, Yanni Diakamahalas. Yeah. There was yeah. a Cornell champ at 41. Yeah. Towards ACL yeah. in the semis. <laughs> yes. And I was just like, Oh my goodness. But see, I like the, the underdog in a sense coming in and, and winning as well. And then we have our student athletes there and you're, you're rooting for them. Um, and then you get to the final day. If they're not there, then you're kind of picking, who you want uh, moving forward to to take home uh, that win and everything else, but it's just it's just fascinating. I just couldn't believe it. Every single day, both sessions sold out, and these kids giving it their all. Um, coaches and just everybody. It's, I'm telling you, um, anytime I talk to someone and they're like, "Oh, are you going this year?" Oh, yes, I'm going this year. Uh, not just because. Of my 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 team that I supervise, but it's just an experience. So why not? Um, and I get to see some of of my other colleagues that also supervise uh, their teams um, down at the tournament as well. So it's just a great experience. Reagan has been very informational. If there's a student athlete out there, whether it be the sport of wrestling or uh, you know another sport that's interested in Old Dominion, how accessible uh, is your office, and what can they do to ask questions if uh, you know if they're a parent or a coach that's that's interested in coming to Old Dominion. Well, I'm on the website, so they can shoot me an email or give me a call to my office number, and I'll try to get them situated the best way I can. Um, it's all it's an open door policy here, so as long as uh, they've got a question, I will most likely have an answer for them. Reagan Hill again, senior women's administrator and associate AD for student athlete academic services at Old Dominion. Good luck with the MAC championships this week, and I'll see you in a couple weeks in Pittsburgh at the NCAA championships. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You have a great day. I'll just say this, folks, as we get into our Mac preview. Wow. It is, as an alum, it is great to know that we've got someone like Reagan Hill in charge with our academics when it comes to Old Dominion Monarchs and men's and women's athletic programs. Now, we're going to shift gears and talk about the Mac Wrestling Tournament and what we've got coming up at the TED March 8th and 9th. 27 bids are on the line for pre-allocation. So if you are new to wrestling and you want to know how the qualifying system works, there are three things that factor into a conference receiving a bid at a weight class. They are win percentage, RPI, and coaches rank. Now, if you're a basketball fan, you kind of understand, you kind of understand what the RPI is, but you, you may not know how it's calculated, but it is a measure of your opponent's win percentage and your opponent's opponent's win percentage. Basically, it is a strength of schedule component. So if you are so 17 and one, but the average records of your opponents are like five and 12, you're not going to get as many uh, RPI points or an RPI measure uh, as you would if you're 17 and one. You've been wrestling guys that are 16 and two, 16 and three consistently all year. So it measures the strength of schedule. The coaches rank is one where we have coaches per conference that break down and rank one through 33 in a weight class. Then you also have uh, the win percentage. So typical wins, losses against opponents in your weight class in division one only. So that being said, you can't fatten up on division two opponents or NAI opponents and get a big win percentage. Now those matches do count for your official record. They do not count in terms of trying to create qualification scenarios. So as that gets broken down, the coaches poll, 
and the uh, yeah the coaches uh, ranking and the RPI and the win percentage all get broken up, and then they take basically the top twenty nine essentially. Uh, per weight class and say that's allocated toward the conference when you hit gold and silver standard. Gold is all three. Silver is two of the three and bronze is one of those three standards. The coaches rank win percentage RPI. Then they are distributed through the conferences. So uh, by weight class based on this current year's data. So as I had mentioned, the Mac has 27 bids up at Old Dominion is going to try to snag uh, at 125 pounds. There are the top four places at the conference. We'll go to the national championship at 133. It's three. We'll explain. We'll go through that. But that's kind of how it how it goes down. Now let's look at the Monarchs prospectus. Uh, yeah, ODU word, and how we can expect these wrestling monarchs to compete in Pittsburgh. So as I mentioned, there are four bids up. For grabs in the 19, let's see, it was 18 Mac because we lost Eastern Michigan, but we added SIU Edwardsville. And Mikhail McGee is probably going to be the top seed as we record this on Monday, March the 4th. The pre seeds aren't out, neither are the brackets. However, we have the last rankings from February as our guide. They rank top four in the Mac. So uh, Mikhail McGee is likely going to be the top seed, undefeated in conference, returning conference champion, followed by Shakur Laney, Drew Hildebrandt. And Dak Punky. So, uh, Laney, pretty solid out of Ohio. Uh, McGee and Laney have split this year. No, I don't see very many situations where McGee would not qualify for the NCAA championships because as we've stated, there's those qualification bids. And then if you notice that that's, that's 27 bids. Well, there's 330 bids that go in and only 280 and change were allocated. So there's going to be a number of at large bids on the table based on. You know, everything out there, they take everybody who didn't qualify and they look through and the coaches say, all right, we're going to pick these guys or not the coaches, the committee picks these guys and then they go in. So a pretty strong case for McGee, even if he flames out of the conference tournament, uh, pretty much I, I think he's probably assured of making the show at 133 pounds. Tra- uh, Travama Jet has come through and he is kind of solidified the spot there him and uh killian cardinal have been battling there's been a bunch of people in that way class steve simpson savion haywood you know a bunch of wrestlers in that spot but uh for Majette, who is not ranked in the conference this is going to be a very tough road to hold three bids here uh john ernesty from missouri he was the number five seed at the nationals last year uh, mario Guillen of ohio and Derek span of buffalo your top three to elijah jeffrey from northern illinois now that being the top four, if he is in a situation where he doesn't draw Ernesty right off the bat, I actually think Majette has a good shot at getting in a position because he's gone into overtime with Guillen. So that's one thing that that's a winnable match. You know, he went into sudden victory, spans a winnable match. So the one thing is you got some senior leadership there, some senior experience by Elijah Jeffrey from Northern Illinois. The conference, you know, it's one thing you got to worry about. Where is he going to draw? Is he going to draw the eight? If he draws the eight and has Ernesty on the backside, you know, he's got a Right off the bat, he's got to come back through and, and try to wrestle for third in terms of, you know, on paper. I'm not saying that he can't beat John Ernesty, but he would be a heavy, heavy underdog. At 141 pounds, Sedarian Perry, the returning All-American from Eastern Michigan that transferred in. He is ranked fourth in the conference, and this conference takes four. So as the seeds go, Jaden Ironman's the number one seed, or likely number one seed from Mizzou, two-time All-American. Cam Kelly, who knocked off Perry in the dual meet from Ohio. He's actually come back to the lineup, had a really good second half of the season. Brian Lantry, a veteran who's dealing with some injuries at that number three spot. So there is some question, even though Lantry did pick up the win over Perry, could there be a 3 4 swap based on common opponents or whatnot but uh, Sedarian Perry sitting in fourth you know he's he's probably going to qualify he hits a lot of the benchmarks even if he does not take uh, top four uh, looking at a potential semi with Jaden Ironman again he can't look past anybody in the MAC it's actually uh, it's pretty solid so Sedarian Perry I'd rate his his chances to to make the show again as I'd say better than 90 percent so uh, right now Majette has some work to do he's going to have to pull off some upsets and we'll, we'll we'll see how that works. Only one automatic qualifier here at 149 pounds, and Old Dominion will send out Kevin Budak at this weight class. A sophomore he and Keenan Carter have been battling for that spot. Budak pretty much will draw the two seed if things hold, because he only has one loss in the conference. Uh, Brock Mahler is a true freshman from Missouri, inherited this weight from uh, All-American Grant Leith from Missouri, who pulled out earlier this year uh, due to an injury and uh, just kind of ended his season. So Mahler has been just, you know, for lack of a better term, his name is fitting, mauling people this year. His only two losses are to Jared Dagan of Iowa State. So Mahler, the one seed, 
Uh, Budak's going to have to get an upset, and and hopefully everything will fall right in the at-large pool because, uh, you know, the quality wins is what you look at. So he's got to pick off Hagen. He's got to pick off. He can't drop a match early and expect to get in, uh, even if there is a true second at this weight class. He's got to make the finals, got to wrestle well, uh, and got to show the, you know, he's got some good pop. He's got some good stuff. So uh, I think it's a bit of a reach. Uh, to pencil him in as a sure thing. I think he's got an outside shot, but he's really got to, you know, the, the best way to take care of that is take care of it by winning the conference. So uh, I'd say it's, uh, he'd be a, 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 a significant underdog against Brock Mahler should he make the finals there at 149. 157, this weight, weight class, very deep, five automatic qualifiers. Larry Early should come in as, uh, as projected as the number two seed, as he did not wrestle Jared JQs of Missouri earlier this year, but what he did, well, who he did wrestle was, uh, Logan Parks and did have a loss from Logan Parks of Central Michigan. And that's probably, well, I'd gonna say that's exactly why Larry Early isn't the number one seed. I'd say there's a pretty much 100% chance Larry makes the field, has some solid wins this year. You know, he is, he is pretty much, uh, the, probably the top shot right now. If you're looking at paper as all American threat for Old Dominion is Larry Early again, the transfer from, uh, University of Minnesota has been with the program now in his second and a half year, two and a half years. So, uh, third year in the lineup, second year with a chance to go to nationals. So, uh, Larry Early definitely a solid, solid choice. Uh, to, to make the show. Now, 165, this is a weight class that, again, only takes one. Shane Jones, the walk-on turn starter, has a good story on odusports.com. Connor Flynn of Missouri is the top seed, followed by Kenny Moore of Northern Illinois, uh, Colt Yinger of Ohio, and Troy Keller of Buffalo. Now, the, again, I said seed. They're actually just the rankings. That's how they break out. That's likely to be the seeds, barring anything that I missed. And, and to be honest with you, I, I, I hit the rankings. I'm like, okay, nothing stands out at me. So uh, Shane Jones is very capable of making the finals depending on his draw, where his seed is. But uh, he's got to, to pick up some extra wins and not take a loss. If he gets to the finals against Flynn, you know, puts his name in there because you get into that at-large pool if you are one spot below the qualifying bid. So if there are five in the conference that go, your sixth place wrestler actually is in the pool for at-large. So they get looked at and compared to the other at-large positions. So uh, a lot of things got to go right for Shane Jones to get to the show, but uh, just just definitely a great story uh, in terms of that Rudy type of story for for OD wrestling. And uh, you know, I'd like to see Shane doing well. 174, we will not see Selden Wright did not get cleared to compete, so we will see Luke Drugak at 174. Selden Wright was ranked number three in the conference, but it's unfortunate to have his career end the way it did. Uh, not a whole lot of insight there from the coaching staff on what exactly he isn't cleared for, but they just said uh, he's not cleared, and it, it just kind of sucks the way uh, a senior has his career go out like that. Uh, so Selden, fun career to watch, fun guy to watch throughout the course of his tenure in Norfolk. Uh, Luke Drugak will get the spot there. We'll come in unseated and I will, I will say it will take, uh, take some wrestling, take some wrestling and, and some upsets of epic proportions for Luke to get to the show. Top gun right there is three time All American Daniel Lewis. Britt Wilson, Northern Illinois has had a very, very strong season as well. So, uh, there was, there were some pretty good roadblocks there for Luke when he gets through, you know, seven, eight, you know, if they seed all the way, he might be the eight seed, might see Daniel Lewis right off the bat. Daniel Lewis also pinned Zaid Valencia of Arizona State, the returning national champion earlier this year in a dual meet. Antonio Agee at 184. Pretty good chance at qualifying here. Uh, coming off an injury, had a really good season uh, until he he got hurt and was out of action quite a bit. Picked up some wins up at the up at a, I believe the Matt Town or Cornell Last Chance, one of those those tournaments at the end of the year to get his record up. Uh, Dylan Wisman, a Virginia native uh, from Missouri, is likely to be the top seed. He's been wrestling fairly well. Ag and him wrestled in a dual meet a couple years ago. Wisman in Norfolk. Wisman won that one pretty good, but uh, Ag had made really good jumps this year and and until that injury so if he gets back on track he could be a strong strong finalist now the key is is getting past the number three seed that could be jordan atienza who he beat in the dual meet or it could be andrew mcnally a transfer from eastern michigan wrestled at kent state that if he's the two seed he's gonna have uh, probably either mcnally or atienza whoever they put as that three and with only two qualifying here at the conference, getting to the finals is crucial. And especially if it's somebody that you beat that ends up taking third, you don't have a true second match. So uh, Antonio Ag, you know, just see what see what he can do. One ninety seven. Tim Young has really come on in the last part of the year. Uh, beat Stephen Lawasso, who's ranked number eleven in the country. That's going to help his his at large considerations. But he's got to make the finals to even be considered for an at large. And with just his record a shade over five hundred, I really think that's a bit of a reach. 
with him being ranked fourth in the conference, the odds that he would see Wyatt Coling in Missouri are fairly high, but he would be in a 4-5, which is, again, a toss-up match. And then Coling of Missouri, a sophomore guy, wrestled a couple different weights last year, filling in at heavyweight, moved back down to 97, started the year at 84. Only one bid qualified for this conference, uh, this weight class in the conference. So a lot of things got to happen for Tim Young to get to the show, but... Impressed with the development down the stretch, definitely came into his own and adjusted to Division One wrestling. But uh, you know, strange things can happen. Now at heavyweight, four bids in the conference: Matt Stencil, Zach Elam, Jake Gunning are all ranked nationally. Caleb Gossett holds down a the fourth ranking in the conference from Northern Illinois. Stencil, a pin happy heavyweight from Central Michigan, he's pretty tough. Zach Elam, junior world silver medalist, uh, he's a true freshman, and Gunning has just been around for a long time. This guy can scrap. So for Will Hilliard. To get to the show, uh, you know, taking a fourth place will do it. Really, you don't have to win every match. You just have to get fourth. And in, in Hilliard's place, he's been out of the lineup most of the year. Uh, you know, got to give credit to Ali Wahab for stepping in and filling in again. But uh, Hilliard gets the spot here, and we'll wait to see how the brackets draw out. So he's got he's got options here. So not you know he's got probably more wiggle room than than a lot of other people do in the lineup so that's how we'll wrap things up if i had to guess let's see one two three you know i'll say four i I think best case scenario actually a logical scenario i'd say four at worst case i think there can be as many as six monarchs compete i think four or five is the most realistic in terms of my somewhat biased perspective but a somewhat knowledgeable perspective on the on the landscape of college wrestling. Again, March 8th and 9th, whynotticks.com, $30 for all session seats. VIP seats available for $130. And, uh, you know, get that $30 pass. I mean, you got 25 bucks a day or 30 bucks for one. Makes more sense. Whynotticks.com, click on that Mac logo. I'm Jason Bryant. I'll be out in Roanoke for the Division Three Championships and then back here in Minnesota for the Big Ten. So, Sadly, I'm unable to attend the MAC championships this year, but maybe sometime in the future we'll get them, uh, get them within driving distance and we can work things out. So that's all I've got for this edition of the ODU Wrestling Monarch Madcast. Actually, I, I lied to you. I got one more thing. WrestlingPreviewGuide.com, wrestling fans. Use promo code MONARCH. So WrestlingPreviewGuide.com. When you check out, use offer code MONARCH to save five bucks on this thing. It is my digital preview guide. It gives you every stat, every wrestler, every result throughout the course of the season. You're going to love it. Bill Kelly says buy it. Steve Martin says buy it. I say buy it. You'll love it. That's all I got. WrestlingPreviewGuide.com. So for this edition, eh, this edition, yeah, let's trip over words here. Communications 101, WODU, showing through. I'm Jason Bryant. This has been the Old Dominion Wrestling Monarch Podcast. We'll see you at the TED. is part of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. For more wrestling podcasts, head over to matttalkonline.com.